The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, good morning again. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, where we're going to be looking at a text there uh, that have entitled today's message, Singing and Making Melody in Your Heart. We began this series on worship a couple of weeks ago. In the first week, if you remember, we looked at the whom and the how of our worship, of our expression of worship, in particular in our corporate expression of worship to God. And we saw in that, uh, in that passage that primarily the, the who of our worship is that if we made one statement is that our worship is not about us, it's all about Him. And our worship is an expression to Him, and the how He wants us to worship is that we worship Him in spirit and in truth. Well, this morning we're going to look at what Paul writes in relation to uh, corporate worship as we come together to worship God and express our adoration, our, our magnification to Him. The fact is, the realities of God, the reality of, of who God is and His omniscience, um, His, His, uh, His power, His glory, and the reality of Christ, and, and God redeeming us, our salvation through Christ, the reality of eternity in heaven with Him, or eternity separated from Him in hell, having not trusted Christ, those realities of God are too great to merely talk about. But God has given us the gift through music that where we understand the realities as the Word of God tells us of who God is and we experience the realities of Him in our lives, that the expression or the heart of that, God's given us a beautiful gift and a medium whereby which we can engage that which we know of God that we find contained in His Word, and we can express in our response to who God is in song is somehow where that brain and heart connect one another, and, and they're explicitly given over to God in that time of worship of Him. And I know we stated it before that we recognize that all of life, really, for the believer is an act of worship. The question is whether or not it is an acceptable act of worship to God or whether it is not acceptable. But for this series, I'm particularly talking about that, that expression of worship in song when we corporately come together or perhaps in a small group or on your own when you sing to the Lord, but that expression of worship to Him through song. And Paul speaks a lot about this in this passage. What I see is that God has created us, number one, or in two ways, one, one to think and the other to feel. He has given us a brain by which we're able to comprehend and understand the truths of God, enabled by the Holy Spirit, that we're able to, to contemplate those things, meditate on those things, draw conclusions about God and who He is through His Word. And He's also created us in His image as an emotional being where by in His image, God is a God of emotion as well. And so He's given us that gift and that ability to connect the brain and the heart, if you will, in emotion to sing to Him and to sing about Him. We have to be careful that if we only engage our brain, then, then we become dry lumps on a log. 
where there's no heart and there's no expression and all that we know about God becomes purely academic. On the other hand, we also have to be careful that that we don't flippantly with a heart of emotion and just express crazy things when it's not based on the truth of who God is. And so we find in this medium of worship that there are the truths and the realities of God. We might say the theology of God, theos, God. And as we meditate on that and the Holy Spirit bears witness with our heart and our spirit, emotionally we express to God out of that anything more or less than that, I'm not sure we fully engaged in worship of God. And Paul begins to write in this passage, beginning first in in verse 19, or actually uh, the latter part of verse 17. Let me, let, me, let me read this to you. He says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He gives a brief description of not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. And the idea there is that the will of the Lord is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And then he goes into the next phrase uh, in verse, in verse uh, 19, in context of this, not to be foolish, but understand the will of God, to be filled with the Spirit. And as we are filled with the Spirit, being Spirit-led, he begins to explain to us how we are to engage in corporate worship. And so the first thing that I want us to look at in this passage, and we spoke a lot about this a couple of weeks ago, is that in verse 18, Paul encourages us that our worship of God, our expression of our worship of God has to be led and in the fullness of the Holy Spirit as He is active and working in our lives and through the Word by the Spirit of God, the how of worship in spirit and in truth. Sometimes, though, just because we are singing Christian songs does not mean that it is pleasing to the Lord. I'm reminded of what Jesus repeated, what the prophets had said, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so when you and I come together to corporately worship God, we can take a posture that we flippantly sing the words to the song with no heartfelt emotion in response to the truths that are there. Amos the prophet said this, uh, that God had said uh, through him, away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your hearts, but let justice roll on like a river righteousness like a never-ending stream. And so there is Christian song and there's Christian singing that is not pleasing to the Lord. And the clarification there is whether or not it is in truth. And number two, whether or not it is of the heart or led by the Spirit where our, our emotions and our heart engage with the truth of God. And we cannot help but express through song the realities of who He is and to Him. Secondly, I want us to look In the second part of verse 19, he says that we are to sing from the heart or our emotions, that that we're to sing from that. The opposite, again, would be that of just flippantly saying words and not singing from the heart. 
And so there is a meditation, if you will, that needs to take place where we meditate on the truth of who God is and the reality of Him in His Word. And through that, in a response to who God is, that is where the singing comes from. And we sing from our heart. You see, no particular form will make it acceptable to God. No particular articulation of word will make it acceptable to God. No particular manner of expertise or quality will make it acceptable to God. What makes our worship acceptable to God is where our heart is bent over towards Him and bent towards Him, and we're expressing truth to Him in that. Now, two ways Paul tells us that we're to worship in this setting in corporate worship. Number one, our, our worship is to be to the Lord, and in verse, in verse 19, he says that it's to be to the Lord, and it's also to be to one another. And so there's this dynamic, it seems, that takes place when we come together corporately to worship, where we are expressing the truths of those songs that we're singing to God, and at the same time, we are singing to one another as a corporate body. You see, God has ordained and God has designed, and it has all been throughout all of Scripture, where His people come together at certain appointed times to worship Him and to give praise to Him. That does not mean that you and I can't worship God in a deer stand. We can. But God has designed it, and we need that corporate worship together as a body. It's edifying to Him, and it's edifying to one another. And so first and foremost, our, our corporate worship needs to be Godward. What we sing needs to be directed to God. I think we should sing much about the goodness and the glory of God. A mighty fortress is our God. In one sense, we're singing that to Him, declaring that God is a mighty fortress, but also at the same time, you're reminding me and I'm reminding you that God is a mighty fortress. It's that collective corporate worship where we sing to God and we also sing to one another. Our worship, when we come together corporately, should not only be God's Word directed to Him, but it has to be and it must be God-centered where it's based on the truth of the Word of God and who He is as we declare back to Him His goodness and His worth and His majesty. And it is to be God-focused, directed to Him. God has given us a beautiful gift in corporate worship. But can I tell you that when we come together in corporate worship and where our worship is not God-centered, is not focused on Him, where our worship is not expressing the goodness from our heart, where our spirit bears witness with Him. We have only come together to do a ritual and form, and it's a stench in the nostril of God. You see, God has given us that, that time and that ability to come together. And here's the beautiful thing about corporate worship. When we meet with Him in truth and in spirit, there's something that happens, and it's just like where we glorify God, but the great thing about it is, is that we reciprocate from that, and God works in us at the same time. 
That's why I believe that when we come together corporately to worship God, that our time of worshiping God through song and through the Word or whatever means it might be, that we have not only lifted Him up, but we also have been edified and lifted up in the same process so that when we leave this place, we don't leave in the same condition that we came in. Now, the truth is, if I'm focused on all manners of other things, then I am going to miss that. little confession time here. Uh, I, I, I have a tendency to get distracted in corporate worship, and maybe it's because I wear the pastor hat. Any of you who have worn the pastor hat, you, you understand that. You come into a setting of corporate worship, and, and your eyes are drawn to, is, is the lighting too light or is it too dark? You get drawn to the overhead, and you realize that the bozo that entered that song into the PowerPoint misspelled that word, and you're all caught up because a word was misspelled on the overhead. You get distracted by, is he wearing boots today, or is he wearing flip-flops today? I won't go there. But you see, in all of that, if you're like me, you get distracted by all of these exterior means and matters, and you make a mountain out of a molehill. And the moment I do that, my focus has been drawn away from God and the reason that I'm here to all of the externals that do not mean a thing. My wife, Sandy, and my daughter, Sarah, are both drama teachers, and uh, I, I love, I've grown to love going to see drama production, and Lene is also a drama music teacher. Uh, but, but inevitably, when we go to see a show, I am robbed of the joy of seeing that show because the moment we get in the car or the moment we get back to the house, they begin to critique every single detail of that play. And I tell them, shut up, don't take away my joy of seeing the expression on that little girl's face. I don't care if she pronounced it wrong. I don't care if her dictation was right. She was into the part, and I enjoyed it. You see, we can do the same thing in our corporate worship as well. And listen, what we're doing when we do that, we rob God of the glory that He deserves, and we rob ourselves of the joy that we can experience in corporate worship. The third thing I want us to look at in this passage is not only that it is, uh, it, it is, it is uh, to be directed to the Lord, that we're to sing to the Lord, but He says that, that we are to sing to one another. There is a joy in that corporate worship of singing to one another. Notice what he says uh, in this passage. He says that in verse 19, we're, we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. And then verse 20, in context where he's talking about our corporate worship, in context he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase, giving thanks always. For what? Only the good things? No. He says giving thanks always for everything. I thought about this, and I realized that if I don't have a sound biblical basis of theology... On the, that, that rest on the sovereign goodness of God, then if, if, 
when life hits me, then I am going to have nothing to stand on and I'm going to have nothing to sing about. How can I sing, give thanks to the Lord if my theology is not grounded on the sovereign goodness of God? How can I deal with life and still praise God in the midst of life if my praise is not based on who God is and His nature and character and His love and His goodness? Because in life, we recognize that we are going to be hit by all manners of things. There's economic distress. There are plagues, as we've experienced. There are natural disasters that take place. There, there's the C word, the cancer that hits out of nowhere. There's the losing of the mind and the faculties when we begin to see the signs of dementia and Alzheimer's. There are all of these things. There are social injustices, and there's, there's unrest, and there's riots, and there's unjust killings. If we don't have a basis in our expression of worship to God, of the goodness and the sovereignty of God as we sing about that, we will never be able to sing and express the truths and the realities of God in the midst of a fallen world. Sandy and I have a close friend, and I'll not give the name, but almost on a daily basis, my wife communicates with this person in some form or another, whether it's through text prayer or whether it's through a phone call. And the other day, my wife made the, 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 the statement that this person is kind of living a Job life. We kind of give you some descriptions of what she's dealing with, or dealing with her own physical ailments that cause great distress more than just the common cold. A husband who has gone through cancer and now his, he's, he's facing other situations, health situations. An adult son who by an accident has had, a, had an injury and has been rendered uh, dependent the rest of their life. And, and we cry out and we pray for her on a daily basis and we can't help but say, if she were not grounded in the sovereign goodness of God, how could she give thanks for God and who He is? And you see, the truth is, is that when we come together to corporately worship Him, we bring together all of those different issues of life into the corporate gathering and the setting. And if we're singing anything other than the expression of the truth of God, and if our spirit is not bearing witness to that, then our worship will have no meaning, no significance to Him, nor will it edify and encourage us in life as well. So he says here that we're to give thanks for everything. Now notice he says in this passage that there are a number of different ways that, that we are to, to worship God. He says we're to sing to one another, verse 19, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts. Now, we don't have time to go into the different types of, of, of what these words mean, but but simply this, that, that expression of song, that expression to God, number one, it has to be based on biblical truth, and it has to be in spirit, but there are various means by which we can express that to God. There is no one way to do that. There are different styles. There are different genres. There are different instrumentations. And can I tell you that none of those matter one bit to God? 
I'm the only one that it matters to, and you're the only one that it matters to as well. You see, what God is seeking, what the Father is seeking is those who will worship Him in spirit and worship Him in truth. The last thing I want to point out in this verse, uh, in this passage, is, is verse 21, because we need to take this in context of, of the very different types and different styles and different expressions of worship. He says in verse 21 that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know what that tells me? That tells me that J-Mo's preference for bluegrass style has no front seat in corporate worship. That tells me that a millennial's preference for a particular style of worship does not get front seat in sanctuary in corporate worship. That tells me that the individual who prefers a song that was written a a century ago does not take preference when it comes to corporate worship. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some of you just tuned out, but I want to tell you that when I get caught up in those kinds of things, then that tells me, that's a signal to me that that my desire for corporate worship has nothing to do with magnifying and glorifying Him. It has everything to do with me getting something out of it. I love you, but let me tell you, when we get in that, we are in sin, and God is grieved. You know, I've been a believer now since 19, Sandy helped me, 1983. And and it seems as though since I've been a believer that through these decades now, we have still, and still are in what, what we call the worship wars. And it's done more, I think, to damage the body of Christ than any other schism in my lifetime at least, that we've seen come through the body of Christ. Just say that phrase just for a minute. Worship wars. That's crazy, isn't it? That sounds divisive to me. That sounds like a tactic of the enemy to me. That he would want to come in and that which he desired to have so much that he envied that God the Father had. Which was honor and worship in the heavenlies. That he desired it so much for himself that he divided heaven over that. I hope you hear me this morning. Wouldn't it not be a tactic of the devil in the body of Christ to use that same device that he used millennials ago in the throne room of heaven to try to overthrow God Almighty? Folks, on every spectrum of the plane, whatever preference we might have, I'm making this a collective statement. That if our focus is on that preference and not on Him, we are allowing the enemy to rule and reign in our corporate worship. And that is not pleasing to God. 
that we'd rend our hearts. Say, God, I want to come to meet with you in that place. And, and God, you've designed the body. While there are so many differences, God, you want to display your glory through a varied body in many different ways. So that the world might see that, that God is not an exclusive God to any particular set of people or any particular set of generations. but that God desires that none should perish, but all come to Christ. Jesus said that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. There are a couple of different applications I know in that passage, but I think one of the applications of it is this, that as we as a body corporately lift him up and magnify his name he will use that to draw others to himself I'll close with a quick story it was 1985 and I was with a team of about 50 individuals and we were in Mexico for six weeks doing cross-cultural mission work there and we were in a small town, I think it was Puebla, in Puebla, the southern state of Mexico. And we were at the little hotel that had a very large open courtyard downstairs. And every morning it was our habit as a team to get together and to pray and to read scriptures aloud corporately and, and, and also to sing songs to the Lord. And for a number of days we had been there every morning doing that. And and the last morning that we were there in that town, there were two ladies that worked there at the hotel. And on that last day when we came together and, and we were worshiping God, where there, was, there were songs that were being sung that were so deep in truth, expressing who God was. Some we were doing in Spanish and some we were doing in English. And, and where our hearts were drawn to Him to passionately worship Him. And, and let me just say this. That doesn't mean you've got to raise your hands. It doesn't mean you've got to jump up and down. You can sit there and your heart be melted to Him. It's a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. At the end of our corporate time of worship, one of the Mexican church leaders was there and he, he brought myself and a couple of others and the two ladies that were in the back of the room were just weeping tears running down their face and they had expressed that every day they had come to watch us and just through that time of, of worshiping God they recognized that the stale religion that they were holding on to was not where it is. They recognize that there was a personal relationship and engagement to a living God. We were able to express and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and, and their lives were transformed. They were saved by the power of the Holy Spirit through the testimony of the expression of God's people. Would it be that God would work so much among us? that we would be so given over to Him in our corporate worship that, that when those that come as the Holy Spirit seeks them, 
not that we design ourselves to be a seeker kind of church, but, but it's the Holy Spirit that seeks them and draws them. And they come in amidst God's people. And they hear the truth of the Word of God and the gospel expressed and, and the expression of sincerity and truth by God's people as we worship Him, that God would use that by the Holy Spirit to bring many to know Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.